call this talk Life's Choices. This psalm is a little bit different from some of the psalms we've been having. Many of the psalms are intensely personal uh, pieces of poetry. This, uh, such as we had with Psalm 51, and even uh, the one Ken brought to us last week, Psalm 121, where he cries out he wants to get his help from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Here, this psalm falls very much into wisdom literature, perhaps more like what we read in, the, in Proverbs. But, uh, so it sets forth some principles, principles of how to, how to live, to make uh, choices uh, in life. Or another way, if you like, it's to call it, it sets forth two ways to live. This little, we make our choices and then our choices make us. So this is supposed to be, uh, I don't know, it was really from the diary of Anne Frank originally, but uh, it's the sort of thing that people quote and, and around, and it's true, isn't it? We make choices in life, and then as a result of the consequences of those choices, they will make us the sort of people that we are. So... When I, in thinking about life's choices, I want to thank Sayer for giving that testimony about how the Lord has called him to go to GLOW. And I just want to perhaps also, without making too much of a fuss of her, but uh, Naomi Gunbat from Mongolia uh, arrived and she's on her way to GLOW too. Tomorrow morning these people get on the plane, fly down to Tasmania and uh, she's sitting there next to Brahman. You might like to meet her later on and, and have a chat with her. From the New uh, Living Translation, verse 1. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand around with sinners, or join in with mockers. We can see that the sort of, if we use the language of the older versions, we are walking, people who walk with the wicked, then we're standing with sinners or wicked, and thirdly, sitting with those who are actually mocking, and that's, that's even sort of worse, isn't it? People who, who mock what God says, what we believe. And so he says that blessed or happy or full of joy can be the people who don't do this. Well, how do you do that? Is there anybody here who can say that they have never been sucked into following the advice of the wicked. I don't think so. And learning to live so that we're not controlled like that is, is a difficult thing. We are in the world and we have to live in this world. And uh, so that also makes it a little bit more difficult. But, and because we are in the world, remember Jesus said that we are to be light and we are to be salt. In fact, he said this just after. He said, the person who is truly happy is the person who is poor in spirit, the person who mourns, the person who hungers and thirsts after righteousness, that sort of person, the person who are pure in heart, the peacemakers and these. And then he goes on to say, Jesus says, but you are to be the light. You are to be salt in this world. So that's the hard thing, isn't it? How do we balance this? How do we live in this world without being contaminated by the world? Because you and I are bombarded all day 
with, from the media, whether it be from television, whether it be on Facebook or magazines, anything. There's so much we're in the world and we're part of the world. It's not that it's all bad, but are we controlled by the patterns of this world? How do we keep ourselves, how do we keep our priorities right for Christians in a post-Christian society? And that's the hard part. And because we live in a secular society, sometimes we have to implement decisions that we, we may or may not agree with. And I'm going to ask Graham to come now and share a story of something, a decision that he had to implement. Okay, to put a bit of background around it, a bit of context, um, my job is to be the manager of a uh, road construction company on the Sunshine Coast. Probably the best way to describe it is it's, um, it's a company that's wholly owned by the state government, but it's run as a commercial business, so it's a little bit strange in that way. Um, so most people would remember a few years ago the government went through a reform process in, in the state. So basically what that meant was that the government wanted to reduce the number of employees that it had. Um, and it wanted to do it through a redundancy process. So uh, it, it happened in all government departments, not just ours. So we weren't alone. Um, there was plenty of it happening around the state. Um, I don't really want to go into the politics behind it, um, but just to say, do I believe it was needed? Probably. Um, do I believe that we went around it in the right way? Probably not. Um, <clears throat> so what I want to talk about today is what happened in my workplace. Uh, so the reform process in my area was done in two rounds. So basically, I don't think the first round was done, handled very well. It was very rushed. Managers didn't have any experience in this sort of thing. Um, we were dealing, um, um, sorry. So employees weren't treated with the respect that they really deserved. So for the second round, um, which was almost a year later, so gives you a bit of an idea that it was a very drawn out process um, with a lot of indecision for everybody. Um, I did have some freedom about how I wanted to run the process. Uh, I still had to decide who, who stayed and who went, which was obviously very difficult. Um, but I could choose how I would deliver the news to everybody. Obviously, it's a big decision. Um, I knew that the process didn't go very well the first time. And it's a huge impact on people's lives. You know, you're talking about people's employment. So I wanted to do it as good as I could. So uh, I did pray about it and I looked for guidance. Looking back, I probably didn't pray about it enough. Um, but I do know that people here were praying for me during that process too. Um, but the reality is, or my thinking is, that God gives us tools. He gives us an intellect. Um, he gives us life experiences. He gives us a moral compass um, to, to really help us in these sort of situations. I don't believe that God gives us black and white answers in every situation. He gives us... Um, um, I don't think it's the norm 
I think it's something that he gives us um, guidance in his word um, and examples of people in, the, in, his, in his word to, to see and to, to act on, on those sorts of things. So um, my aim was to treat people with as much dignity as I could through the process. I did have individual meetings with everyone that received redundancies and those that didn't to try and um, make it a bit more even for everybody. Uh, there was obviously difficult conversations in there. Uh, some really wanted to get a redundancy, so they were the easy conversations, but obviously some didn't. Um, so what my goal was to try and give the people the respect that they deserved. So in summing up, yes, there are things that you have to do in your work life that you won't agree with. Uh, you won't see the logic behind. Uh, and in most cases, you can't avoid them. And I certainly couldn't. So I tried to find the best way that I could go about it with the guidelines that I had, which is the principles in God's word. Thanks, Graham. And I think this is what this psalm teaches about how, that's what we're going to look at, how, how not to be in, totally in, enveloped, but as Graham brought out about God's word. And in fact, that's what uh, goes to the antidote, sorry. So we've heard in verse 1 the sort of things we shouldn't be doing, the sort of things we, we, we need to avoid if, if we can. We, we, we've got to be living with people, but we're not going to be sucked into their thinking and look we are so often but how do we stop it I mean how what's the what can help us fix that well it's the positive action that the psalmist now tells us his delight is in the law of the Lord now of course when he's talking about the law of the Lord initially he's talking about the five books of Moses but we know we can take this as a general principle for the whole of this these 66 books because we believe that these are the very word of God this is God speaking to us and that's what makes all all the difference I guess if you start off as many non-Christians do and just read the Bible they don't delighting in it but this is something that comes as a result of you spending time in God's word and so he says but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law, he meditates day and night. So this word to meditate is, means something like to murmur, to say out loud, and even to memorise. You know, I think if I had, if there's one thing I wish, if I had my time over again, is that I spent, I learnt a lot more of scripture off by heart. And if you talk about the Psalms at the moment, and, and they're, they're mostly psalms that I, that I learnt when I was young. And so I, I could probably recite Psalm 1, I can recite Psalm 23. I used to be able to recite Psalm 46. Lindsay and I, used, in our home, we, that was one of the psalms that we, that we, we said a lot at home. Um, three years ago, I thought I've got to make a better effort to learn Psalm 103. And I really worked hard on Psalm 103. And for, I reckon for, for a couple of years, I could say Psalm 103. But one of the problems of learning Psalms when you're getting older is it's, it takes a lot more work to retain it. And uh, I, I need some more work on it to be able to retain it. But 
also, I think for all of us, we should think, if someone came to you now and asked, how do you become a Christian? Would you be able to point them to some verses in the Bible that would help them understand what God had done, what Christ had done, their position as a sinner and their need to receive Christ? And I think that's, that's something that we should all make sure that, that we can get to that stage where we can, uh, that we are able to do that. And so delighting in the law of the Lord is really important. Um, another thing about scripture, it's, I think when I reflect on my life, I can see people that made impact on me about, about scripture. For example, one time when I was in my late teens, I think it was, we heard in a talk by Richard Saxby, who was a missionary from the Chad and it was in Brisbane, and he was speaking on from Psalm 119, verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day long. And that became a prayer for me that I would learn to really love God's word and I would meditate on it. And I failed in many ways to do it the way I should have. But it has been something that, that I enjoy. Another man that made an impact on me was a, fellow, a man called Howard Bardsley. Now, Mr. Bardsley had some weird ideas and some things. It was quite wacky ideas. But he, he loved to talk about the scriptures. He loved to share these things. And uh, one of the things he said to me was try and get a, a key fact from every chapter in the Bible and remember that. Now, I, can, I can't tell you that I can do that. Bill Forward probably can. Um, but... I did make an effort and have from time to time tried to make an effort, try and remember something about it and that really helps you uh, in your knowledge of the word of God. So why should we do this? Well, I'm going to jump over to Psalm 119 just for a few minutes because this is all about the word of God and uh, I just went through it and picked out and I didn't, this is not a thorough study of it, about some reasons why we should obey God's word that I picked out from this uh, psalm. Verse 9 tells us that this is the way you'll keep your, your life pure. And if we want to be, we're called to be holy, to be set apart for Jesus. And uh, it's, the word, it's God's words that tell us. Now, in everything I say about the word of God must be, uh, of course, in the fact that we can't do it without the Holy Spirit. If we belong to Jesus, we have his spirit and his spirit will speak through his word to bring these things home to us. And of course, if we just read it, as James says, and go away and don't take any notice of it, it's like looking in the mirror and you say, oh yeah, okay, and you don't worry. You don't make a change. Well, we've learned nothing. But if we're going to obey God's word, yes, it will help keep our way pure. The next verse, almost the same, or two verses later, says it helps us prevent sin. It preserves life. It gives wisdom. It's a lamp and a light. Scripture Union's famous uh, verse, it's, it's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Remember, it's, it's like the story Sayer told us, it's not a, a headlight shining way in the distance. It's a little lamp that shows me where to go so that I can put my next foot down. It gives understanding. 
And the wonderful thing, the little quote there, God knows all my ways. Isn't that wonderful? It's fantastic that God knows everything about us. He knows all our ways. And you might, it's a little bit hard in your thinking to get the benefits or the reasons and the results a little bit mixed up, but some of the results can be these. Our ways, if we are obedient, can be blameless. We are learning to walk in God's ways. We are learning to trust God's word, trusting him. We, are, uh, we, we find that his word brings us hope. We learn to delight in God's commands. Not, you know, these terrible things, but as we obey, we learn to delight. And I think all of us know that if there are times when we're fighting God about something, we're miserable. But when we are being obedient to him, we delight in, can delight in his commands. We discover that God's word is more precious than wealth and we can develop a love for his word, as we said before. Another expression used is he finds God's word sweeter than honey. And he, you learn, as we, we learn to hate the wrong path, if we're just being sucked in by the world and all, it, all its uh, pressures on us, we won't necessarily hate the wrong path. But as we focus and have God's word in our hearts, then we will learn to hate the wrong path. And we'll find God's law as a joy to our hearts and we won't forget it. And it will bring peace. It's nothing like the peace of God which passes all understanding. And we will not stumble. There are 176 verses in that psalm. And it's a, it's a wonderful psalm about the word of God. And so the psalmist back in Psalm 1, he's, he is delighting in it and he's meditating on it. And then we find two contrasting similes. Basically it's saying he's like a tree in the desert which thrives because of the constant supply of water. Uh, in the NIV, it says it is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Now, there's a parallel passage, many will know, in Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 5 to 8. It starts off in verses 5 and 6. It says, Cursed is the person who trusts in man, who makes his own flesh his strength, what he relies on. But then in verses 7 and 8 it says, But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach down deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. It's from New Living Translation. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 7, the Living Bible, which you know is a bit of a, a paraphrase, says this, Let your roots grow down into him and draw up nourishment from him. Speaking, of course, of the Lord Jesus. I can remember when uh, I actually looked, checked up on the internet, but uh, the Living Bible only came out in 1971, but before that, Kenneth Taylor had released various sections of it. And the Billy Graham Association published Living Letters, the letters of Paul, uh, in, in the mid-1960s. 
And it must have been about that time that I got hold of it. And I always remember how this verse really struck me. It's something that I've hung on to. Let your roots grow down into Jesus. Draw up nourishment from him. See that you go on growing in the Lord and become strong and vigorous in the truth you are taught. Let your lives overflow with joy and thanksgiving for all that he has done. And so, out, out, particularly from that passage we've just read, but that's the same idea of delighting in God's Lord. We're, we're learning to trust the Lord. It's learning to trust. It's, uh, many people have sung songs about things like that. And uh, we've recently just come across a, a, a song by Lauren, I don't know what you call it, Daigle or Daigle. Um, and I have to confess, the way we came across this is the wow hits of the Christian hits from, 2000, from last year, 2016. A young couple that were staying with us left it in our car. And Saya wanted to hear them all. So we've been listening to all these Christian hits as we drive around. And this is the chorus out of this particular song. When you don't move the mountains, I'm needing you to move. You know, we just want God to do that. Look, God, shift that mountain. Come on. Fix this problem in my life. When you don't move the mountains, I'm needing you to move. When you don't part the waters, I wish I could walk through. When you don't give the answers as I cry out to you, I will trust. I will trust. I'll trust in you. And then the, the point that came out of here too was that from Psalm 1 and from Jeremiah 17 was that this person who was constantly getting nourishment, constantly getting that water. It won't, despite the drought, that person will produce fruit. It will yield fruits, fruits in its season. Or it will never stop producing fruit from Jeremiah. Who benefits? When you see a tree and it's fruit, who, it's, it's not... If the fruit's just left there, it just falls to the ground, doesn't it? It rots. But if we come along and pick the fruit, we're, we're the ones that get the benefit. So it's not the person, it's not you yourself that gets the benefit. It's the people around you. The people around you get the benefit of the fruit that's being displayed in your lives. One of my favourite verses is always Second Corinthians 3.18 where, where it talks about how we are if we're looking at the Lord, if we're being obedient, then that's the conditions. As we behold, we're being changed from one degree of glory to another. We're all being changed. Fantastic. Or Philippians 1 where Paul says, hey, you know, basically God hasn't finished with you yet. We're all being changed and we want to be people who will bear fruit. On the other hand, the wicked... Not so the wicked. It says, verse 4, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Well, this is uh, Anna, the lady that we uh, lived with in Romania in 2004. And we learned a lot about subsistence farming that year. It was fantastic, some of the things we learned. And there she is threshing. Threshing and then, uh, in that case, it's uh, beans and so on that she's got. And here she's doing some winnowing, which she hold it up and the chaff, everything just, the wind 
drives it away, and that's uh, winnowing some corn. Or if you like, three months ago, we took this photo of doing the same thing with rice. It's been threshed, and then holding it up in the winnowing. The chaff, it goes away. But, yeah, but when you look around, it's not like that, is it, necessarily? In our society, don't many of the wicked prosper? Aren't they the ones that are getting wealthy, that don't seem to have any cares? And perhaps some of them are like that. They get more powerful. Are they like the chaff, which the wind's driving away? Well, many of you will know Psalm 73, where the psalmist says, Look, as for me, he said, my feet had almost slipped. I, I, I couldn't understand it. All these rich and the arrogant, and they're, they're doing so well. And they, you know, they didn't seem to have any problems, any cares. And then he says, until I went into the house of the Lord and there discovered their end, what's happening. Yes, people will appear to be getting on all right, but they aren't necessarily, but they would put across this sort of idea. But the wicked, it's the end that's the problem. It's the, that's the big problem. And so he finishes up here. There are two ways to live. He says, therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. Now, it could be talking about uh, a judgment that happens from time to time in their lives. But most likely, this is talking about the end, end times for these people. Therefore, the wicked, wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Where it says the Lord watches over, or some translations say the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but it's not just like from a distance. You know, there was a song, was it Bette Midler or someone who sang in a film? From a distance, God is watching us or something. Look, God's not watching us just from a distance. He's here. He's here today. He lives in us. God is watching and looking after us and caring for us. The Lord does watch over the way of the righteous. And let's just remind ourselves as we read a verse like that, we are righteous not because of any righteousness in ourselves. We are righteous because we've received Christ's righteousness. I was actually, um, I heard uh, David Jeremiah this morning on television talking about the power of the gospel to salvation from Romans 1, 16 and 17 and reminding us of that fact. The gospel is the power of God to the salvation to everyone who believes. It was to the Jew and then to the Greek. For in the gospel we receive a righteousness that comes by faith, from faith to faith. So it is Christ's righteousness that we, that we receive. And we know, we look in our own hearts, we know that we are still sinners. We are people who are struggling not to be sucked in by and follow the advice of the world and that those who are, have no care for God. And the only way we can do this is by keeping our eyes on the Lord Jesus, by feeding on his word, by using his word and making his word real in our lives. And so 
There are two ways to live. We can do our own thing, we can go our own way, but we know the, the result in the end, the judgment. Or we can live for the Lord, we can feed on his word, we can make his word real in our lives, we can be obedient to his word, and then we know that we are going, as we heard before, we're going to be with the Lord Jesus. Our citizenship already is in heaven, as Lindsay shared before. The Lord watches over the path of the godly, but the way of the ungodly will perish. I'm going to finish by playing you the video of that song I shared, and then we'll listen to it, and then I'll close in prayer. That's the first, those words, so that you, in case you can't understand them. <laughs> and then the video, yeah, just switch over.
Sometimes in life we might see some spectacular things happen uh, as great answers to prayer. But as that song says, when we don't, will we go on trusting? So this week, will we trust the Lord in whatever he puts in front of us? I think we've been reminded a few times today, none of us know what's going to happen when we walk out the door even. But we do know we can trust in the Lord and hang on to him. And may it be that the wisdom we need to live in this world, not to be sucked into its ways, it can only come as we feed on the word of God and obey it because it is his word and he gives us wisdom. The Holy Spirit can speak to us in our minds and he can help us decide what to say and what not to say. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this psalm. We, this is written as a, an introduction to the whole of this, the, the 150 psalms, which were an important part for Israel in their worship of you. And the principles here stand the test of time. Help us, Lord, to learn to put in the effort to get to know your word, to meditate on it, to read it, to meditate on it, to think about it. And Lord, not just as an abstract academic exercise, but knowing that this is your word and that we have your spirit who lives in us, who can guide our thoughts, guide our living, guide our decisions. Help us to make good decisions this week in your strength and in your name. Amen.